Welcome to Elixir Outlaws, the hallway track of the Elixir community. <laughs> this is the best beginning oh, of any episode. That's great. <laughs> I gotta pour my coffee. Oh, I'm coming in hot. All right. Oh, <laughs> uh, hang on. Vamp. Vamp for me while I pour my coffee. Do what for you? Vamp. Vamp? Yeah, I need, hang on. I, uh, I, don't, need, I, don't, vamp. I don't I don't have any blood to suck over here, so I don't know how to do that. Well, that's what am I doing? Right. Well, I'm back. Coffee's okay. Made. Successfully vamped. Good job. Yeah, good. I didn't know what I was gonna do without you. Whew. How have you lived the past three weeks then? Uh, I know we've been gone and things have been crazy. Um here's some inside baseball. Summertime with recording in the summer is always tough. This happened last summer too. Yeah. Here's Vacations. We've been doing this little song and dance for a while now. Enough to have had a previous summer upon which to reflect. Why would we reflect on things? Are we trying to change and improve? No. Absolutely okay. not. <laughs> no. I wasn't sure. I I believe uh, in plowing ahead headlong into danger. I mean, we're not getting paid for it, so mm-hmm. 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 just just go forward and enjoy. Yeah, you come over here and mow my lawn, and then I'll reflect. Okay, <laughs> I'll spend a little of a. I'll do some introspection. Uh, yeah, I've had I've had crazy stuff going on. Uh, broken window in the backyard, like. Like ceiling to floor, eight foot. Oh no! Yeah, I don't know what happened. It's all spider web right now. We got to get somebody to come over and take a look at it. Went on vacation, uh, fly fishing in Montana. It was that's fun. fun. What else have I done in the last few weeks? Work, work, work. In in a happy way. I'm having a lot of fun um, digging into ecto more and more, which is something that I didn't do too much of before. Like most of my ecto stuff was fairly basic, like writing data from sensors out. Mm-hmm. So yeah, we should talk about that. I mean, really we have your blog post and then we also have your comment that nobody should use. Well, you said you wish more people would just use, uh, yeah, don't, don't listen. Don't, don't, don't use belongs to and has many and stuff like that. Right. Don't, don't make, don't, don't make bold statements for me. I, no, I'm not I making them for you. You made statements. them. I didn't just say repeating. that though. I didn't I say, what'd you say you should never you should blah, blah, find, blah, blah, blah. You should go find what you did. Didn't I didn't say you should never blah, blah, blah. Okay. Go find what, what you said, said and read it. What I said was, I think it would be, I kind of wish more people ha- would use Ecto with just basic schemas and queries. Just try that. Try okay. it out. Explain that to me. So when we were at uh, Latote before the mass exodus. LT the, is the cool kids call it. The, 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 the elixir diaspora of, <laughs> of, of, of Latote, of which Lance was the only remaining uh, individual. Oh man. Um, he, you know, when we had started there, he had put into place this pattern of, we had schemas, 
and those schemas. And we had an existing data model that we were interacting with. And so that was part of the motivation behind this. We had an existing data model in an old database that we were interacting with. It's MySQL. I say old. It, it just meant the database that had been propped up when the company was started. And the Elixir stuff needed to interact with that data model. And one of the things Lance had done is that uh, we, we, we didn't really write to that database all that much. When we did, we used chain sets. But for the most part, we were querying from it. And instead of bringing over all of the associations and whatnot, Lance just set up a bunch of schemas that had the foreign keys written out as foreign keys, didn't use any associations or anything like that. And then whenever you needed to do things, you just wrote queries. You just wrote explicit queries to go get and interact with the stuff that you actually needed. So if you need to insert something, you mm-hmm. you did like a, like if you needed to insert multiple things, you would, they're dependent on each other. You do like a multi. Yeah. 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 Uh, uh, and also the rights were a little bit interesting. Rights were more complicated for a whole host of, of technical reasons um, that were largely had to do with like, you know, the fact that lots of people were interacting with this singular set of data data. So they went through a kind of a different pattern, but for the querying logic specifically, yeah, we just wrote queries. So what does that mean? Well, what's interesting about that is you would end up writing a lot of very specific queries to do the thing that you actually needed to do. So you would like go get the piece of data that you actually needed from a select statement and bring it back in a, in, oh, uh, in the most convenient form. So it'd be a little more optimized and perfect for what the, your, your exact use case at that moment. Yeah, and you did the joins explicitly because like you you didn't preload because there's there's no there's no association to preload or cast into. Okay, so. So one of the things that I deal with is let's, let's say that you have um, you're doing an invoice, right? And it has a lot of line items and you require at least one line. item. <coughs> that's one thing that's really nice with cast ASOC is being able to say that you require at least one in your change set. Mm-hmm. Um, and then some of the other things are like the unique constraint versus unsafe, unique mm-hmm. gives you some nice things there. So, I've found that when whenever I've, I've created like a form change sets, mm-hmm. right, or form schemas that are they're not back directly because it's like crazy multiple tables, and whenever I need to do those kind of validations, like the unique constraints, it's like a really a lot more going on now than if if I use the like has many and and cast ASOC with require one. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I'm 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 curious at how that changes and what that looks like. Yeah. So I mean, on the writing side of it, uh, you you just get more explicit. So you either like have you know just use repo dot transaction and just write the various inserts that you need uh, for your various casting and all that sort of stuff. The validations is what I'm talking about. Like the the yeah. The cast a sock. I got it. Uh, oh, 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 like right, like right. line like cast a sock um, line items for an invoice required or true makes you have to have at least one. Yeah. So I mean, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I get what you're saying. I think those things can be useful. It is my feeling, though, and this is something that we also kind of figured out at LT and stopped doing to some degree. 
is chainsaws aren't all that reusable. Like chainsaws aren't a reusable idea in the sense that like you really can't use. It's why people end up with a create thing change set and an update thing change set and a blah, blah, blah thing change Mm -hmm. set. It's like you have a change set per action that you're going to do with it because you kind of care about different stuff depending Mm -hmm. on the use case. And so like we ended up hoisting all of that logic out of our schemas into sort of this higher level intermediary. I mean, that we didn't have context. We didn't call them context. Like, I don't think context were a thing when we were working on this. Mm-hmm. We had modules and we had functions that did stuff <laughs> <laughs> and provided a layered API. But yeah, like a lot of the change set stuff ended up on like in the layer above the actual schema definition. And so you would end up building the changes that you needed for that action. And then, mm-hmm. and so like, yeah, you may not have been able to use cast a soak or whatever, but like you kind of don't care because cast a soak is predicated on the idea that there's a specific reusable change set that you want to use on that other schema. You know what I mean? Like it's like it's yeah. built on the idea that like you have some other reusable thing. And it's like, well, you actually don't. Like that's none of that logic's reusable. And so just write it all in the layer that you're actually using it, where you're actually doing the inserts and such. Okay. So how I I I did similar, I guess. I guess it's still in that I put another module out there where I combine uh different change sets from different things like the invoice change set and the line item change. Yeah, your context. Set. Yeah. I guess <laughs> if that's what you want to call it. Sure. Uh, so I guess what always gets me when, when going with this approach, like it's powerful, it's super flexible, which in a lot of ways makes it simpler to maintain. Mm-hmm. Uh, it doesn't mean it's like quick or easy, but it's, it's simple to follow and see what's going on. But when it comes to creating a, change set so that your front end form shows validations and stuff without a lot of extra work on your part. That's a pain too. <laughs> like rebuilding a form change set with all those errors. So what do you do anything? Do you like not use those forms? Do you do all of it by hand on the form? Like how do you deal with that? I don't know because I, to be honest, don't have a lot of experience dealing with that kind of stuff in my Elixir work. I mean, truthfully, like that's just not, that's not how I use Elixir. It's not, I don't build a lot of like static web apps and stuff like that. That's just not the work that I do. So I kind of don't even know how to answer. I don't know if I would be able to answer your question very well because you're building a lot of API stuff. That's just, yeah, it's not the wheelhouse I live in. And it's it's not the world that I inhabit at all. And so I, my inclination is that I don't know what my inclination is. I think I think something about I'll say this something about those layers, the layers as encouraged for like static web apps, feels very off to me mm-hmm. in a way that I cannot describe more than like a gut feeling. And it's just a gut feeling based on like 10 years of doing this. And to be honest, I don't deal with that problem enough. So I haven't sat and thought about it in the hammock long enough to really figure out 
what it is about that that feels off to me, but something about it just feels a little off. I don't know how I would handle that because, yeah, you kind of have to have a change set for the form to work the way that you want it to work. And you have to. Because it because that, that's how you get like your errors back into the form and blah, blah, and like do the form validations and all that sort of stuff. Like, yeah, it's. I don't know. I don't know if I have a good answer for that, to be honest. How in in the non like web app, the services version, how are you returning errors? It depends on the contracts of the API, but what I like to do is uh, have a generic error uh, struct, have a generic error struct that can be used for any errors that occur in the system. And that thing is actually an exception. You know, you do def exception, but an exception is a struct that also happens to be raisable and happens to have like a message. uh, You know, it happens to conform to a specific contract and stuff like that. So I generate that and then have a bunch of functions on it that are like not found and internal and, uh, you know, not authorized or whatever. And um, all of my various operations return those. Return, return an error struct. And then when you get out to the edge of the system, you can either embed, I mean, those are those are exceptions that you can either raise if you want to raise and just blow up the request or blow up the background job or whatever it is you're going to do with it. Mm-hmm. Or because they're structs, you can imp- implement all these protocols with them and either convert them into text or convert them into a response, right? Because you can say, okay, well, it's a not found error. So that's a 404. So send back a 404 with this HTML in the body or whatever. So like then you can have a generic thing that allows you to, to support all those operations. So that's how I like to handle it. But forms get real messy because forms, you actually want all of the individual fields returned, right? And, and really what yep. you want to do is you want to render HTML that happens to like have certain new HTML tags in it and maybe new CSS selectors that mark a field as an error. I mean, that's what Phoenix is doing for you. Right. Um, with like some of their, you know, generated HTML and stuff. It's you have an error page, an error version of that, which is that if there's error messages for this field, you render it with like a red border around it because it has a special CSS selector mm-hmm. and you render additional <clears throat> HTML elements and that sort of stuff. So what's cool about the error struct thing is that you can return that and it's arbitrary what you stash inside of it. And so you could theoretically generate that HTML from that error struct as well. But, I mean, that's the, at the end of the right. day, that's what change change sets are doing for you. That's the same. It's a similar, very similar pattern. And because then you get the change set back and it has all the pieces that you need to, to render that stuff appropriately. Right. Yeah, and you could do the same thing with in. change sets. If you want to speak change sets throughout your entire application, you could do that with change sets as well and convert those into JSON errors or whatever. Well, th- that's what I'm doing now. And I, w- whenever I have to split things out and do like a, a special form change set versus what I'm using to talk to the database, I just have to rebuild that change set to send out the errors. Right. So I have to build one for the front end. Yeah. Um, and I just didn't know, like, sometimes it felt like, am I messing something up? Because, like, this is way more complicated, but... It, yeah, it's, I don't know. It, so I just wasn't sure if there was another way that you were doing it. 
No, I don't. Yeah, I don't. I don't really have a good good patterns for that sort of stuff. Mostly just because it's like, yeah, it's not the world I live in, or I don't need patterns for a lot of that stuff. Mm-hmm. My inclination would be to like not use chain sets, to be honest. Like my own my own proclivities are to like handle it myself instead of because that's and that speaks more to my ignorance of like how does ecto work with how to change that's even work you know like it, yeah. it's built more on that ignorance where i'm like well i think i can just write this myself and it'll be really simple if i just write it myself and then i'll be able to understand it because it's going to be like one big function that i can just read and understand so that would be my inclination but i'm sure there's probably a good pattern for this stuff with ecto proper i don't really know what it is I haven't figured it out. I've asked around and like, (laughs) it feels like not many people have figured it out if they have, or I'm just asking the wrong people. I don't know. (laughs) Yeah. I don't know. I think you could probably, there is definitely people out there to ask. I just, you know, I'm not one of them. I'm also like a less is more person. Like I want to, I want to rely less on a lot of these like niche features of a, of a library. That's fair. That's, that's my like, own, you know, that's my own sensibilities. When you get into those like really niche features, they, they seem to change a lot too. So if you're kind of implementing that yourself, then you have less changes that you have to deal with whenever there's a library upgrade or anything. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, I mean, I guess at the same time, you might lose any optimizations or anything that they put in. How do you how do you find it is to bring somebody new onto a project whenever you're not doing it the the prescribed way? I think bringing new people onto a project is hard no matter what. Fair. <laughs> and all of the arguments about like, well, it's it's conventional, so everybody should be able to understand how all of this <laughs> application works is total bogus. Like none of that's that's all BS. There is no substitution for like experience and being in an application and there's nuances that you're going to need to learn in every application. And I'm sitting here in a, in my current work, looking at a application that is 350,000 lines of Elixir and it's all conventional, but it's really, really, really freaking hard to understand how anything works because it's a giant application. It's like using context. It's it's an umbrella app. It's like did all the things all the quote unquote correct ways, and it's impossible to understand. You know, if you're brand new, I'm I've been here three months and I'm just now beginning to kind of get a sense of like where stuff is in the application, how it's all put together. That's kind of my thing about being useful at any new project. If the project already exists, is is about three months, and actually, if you're making a brand new project from scratch. I feel like you, unless you've been studying the field that that project is in, is probably about three months before you're useful there too. Yeah. Like really useful. The people who pitch you on the whole idea of like, well, every Rails application is just looks like every other Rails application. Those people <laughs> are consultants. And they work on tiny applications that barely do anything. Get, get over yourself. <laughs> like that is, that's not a real thing. Especially I'm a if you want, but I don't feel that way. Especially if you want to, I know. But the people who say that, you, you'll notice that they're basically all consultants. Yeah. Uh, and it's like, yeah, because it makes your ability to get into an application and start do, being a tactical tornado and making things worse for everyone else who's there, so that you can make <laughs> your billable hours 
you know, get those billable hours. Listen, I was a consultant. I used to live that life and felt like I was doing a really good job. I, when I say tactical or tornado, I'm talking about me. I'm talking about young Chris, like who didn't know any better, who didn't realize that like what they were probably doing was making a lot of other people's lives really hard by being more productive than everybody, quote unquote, more productive than everybody else. Because you're not improving the system. You're getting, you know, your work done for today, which is not the same thing. Yeah. To some degree, those two things are at odds with each other. The faster you want to go, the more mess you're probably making for someone else to clean up. Especially no, as a consultant where you don't have to live with it six months from now. No matter no no matter like whether you're you're a consultant or not, anytime that you're trying to move fast, you are going to make a mess. Right. You, if you're not taking the time to step back, make sure that the changes you're making are actually improving a system. Right. Right, right, right. Yeah, absolutely. So, so I think we have uh, we have another thing to talk about. Okay. Your blog post. Sure. Bad Elixir. Hit me. What do you want to talk about? Well, you had a lot of ideas in there. I wish I had just read this right beforehand because now you said you didn't even read the no, post <laughs> and you want to. I talk read the blog it? post, but like you said, it's summertime, so it's been three weeks since I, I read it. I got it. I got it. I, I read it the day that you came out with it, and I posted it to everybody. Are you the one who shared it to Hacker News? I didn't. No, I don't get on Hacker News. I don't get on Discord. Or no I don't Discord. either. I had to find out. So, so this is going to sound like a weird flex, and I guess it kind of is. But like, I didn't. Dis- I didn't know it had even been submitted to Hacker News until someone at Frame, like, posted in a public engineering channel that was like uh keith lee's post is now number one on hacker news <laughs> congrats <laughs> and i was like i didn't even submit that crap <laughs> who did that <laughs> so I don't, I don't go there and i don't go to reddit they, they're just time sinks to me yeah i can't yeah for sure with them for sure well, so we we could just start at the beginning and and go through and then anybody who hasn't read it doesn't need to <laughs> yeah, for sure. So, okay. So I, I, I do need to explain a little bit about this post because I think it is... I got it pulled up. I think it is... It's important to explain the context, right? So this post started as me writing up an internal memo for uh, essentially for the, for the team that I'm now working with of like patterns that I believe would lead to a more maintainable application. And simultaneously... It's stuff that I picked up. It's stuff I've picked up over the years uh, of doing Elixir, but it's a, a lot of it was formalized at Bleacher Report because Bleacher Report was unique for me in that we had a ton of services. They were all, and we had a ton of services for the size of team that we were dealing with. And yet, there just wasn't that much code. They were all pretty self contained. And while some of them, you know, were in very, all of them to some degree, were in various stages of neglect because we just had way more services than we had people to maintain them. And our maintainership was kind of weird. They were all pretty reasonable. Like you could get in there and figure it out for sure. All the flows were pretty reasonable. And it was harder to understand the overall, you needed to understand the overall architecture. But overall, like once you did that, each individual service was 
pretty okay. Some of them were outliers to that, but overall it was pretty okay. Um, so a lot of these patterns started to be formalized for me at BR, where it was like, oh, we can just build apps with like way less code. Like we don't need most of the ceremony that people think that you need. Um, we can get away with a lot, a lot less. And actually, it's way simpler when we get away with a lot, when we do less here. When we do less design, things kind of were better. When we eschewed all of the various rules that people state about how you ought to build Elixir systems, especially Phoenix apps and stuff, mm -hmm. it was like, yeah, well, all that stuff's wrong. <laughs> like, like, it was way easier for us to maintain things when we didn't, when we ignored a lot of those ideas. Uh, and it was a thing that we kind of fell into backwards. So that's where a lot of these ideas in this post are coming from, right? And, and, on, and then the other part of it is tons of libraries. Like I've maintained a bunch of libraries over the, over the years. These are all things that I now endeavor to do in my libraries because it makes maintenance on them easier. It makes understanding them easier and it makes the APIs for using them better. So yeah, so that's all that's all the the context of this. Anyway, so where do you want to jump in? What do you want to talk about? You, I this is your show. <laughs> we know we all know it's the Keithley show. This is your show. I'm, You're driving the bus. I'm more like the guy playing the piano on on the Tonight Show. You just talk to me once in a while. You just you just point and look over. Like, hey, <laughs> hey, there you go. <laughs> Very good, sir. <laughs> <laughs> the the first one is uh, map get keyword get. I'm gonna throw in the second one and fetch functions versus access. Yeah. So you you talk about using access over those mm -hmm. because it it allows you to change the underlying structure and not have to maintain the code. Like to mm -hmm. me, that's like use protocols over directly calling things if you can because yeah. mm -hmm. it allows it to be more expandable. My question here is, do you end up using uh, or implementing access for a lot of things internally for yourself? Something that I had forgotten that we did at one point is we had, for a lot of our Ecto stuff, I had forgotten that we always used like a, a specific, our own, like, um, what is it? Oh, what's the term? Uh, like we had our own module that we would like mm -hmm. use Ecto schema in. And so we never used Ecto schema directly. We always used like br.schema. And that had, and because it was like pre-set up to do primary, like primary keys that were like either UUIDs or HLCs or whatever. And like it, okay. it was set up to do like custom stuff. I had forgotten that we added for every single struct a default access. So all of our Ecto stuff implemented access already. Nice. So I had forgotten that part, which is also important to like note because then you can use access everywhere and you don't run into that situation of like this struct doesn't implement access yet and that kind of thing. Like you don't hit those bugs. <laughs> what always kills me with access <clears throat> is when you have like, you know, params have string keys and other things have symbol keys and Ecto works like change sets work with mm -hmm. both for mm -hmm. attributes and, and sometimes they don't work for both and it's really frustrating. Mm -hmm. But I guess you could, you, if you implement your own access, you could 
have your access to work with either type of key. Right. It's probably what they're doing underneath. I haven't gotten to look, but I haven't looked. I forgot the other part of it, which is like when we were doing just JSON APIs. So for, I mean, the majority of, of Bleach Report APIs are JSON APIs still. We started very slowly started moving towards uh, using protobuf. Um, and we've talked about this before, but using protobuf on RPC. Um, with protobuf, you get a struct. You know the struct because it's a defined contract. It's not arbitrary j- keys going over the wire. It's like, this is what I'm sending you. Right. Um, and so with those, you get a struct and you can actually just like use the dot syntax on all of it because you know what's in there. Like you can go look at the code and say like, well, this is the literally the exact fields on this on this struct. And that's a lot different than if you're working with web forms. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. But the other side of that is when we were using JSON, we never used Atom keys. We never converted to Atom keys. We just used string keys everywhere. Mm -hmm. So all of our maps were string keyed. But your internal structs are not. What internal structs? (laughs) Like, that's what I'm saying. It's like, okay, no, like a lot of our services were calling other things and dealing with Kafka and dealing with JSON and then calling other stuff and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, why? Why are you going to convert that to a struct? Just like maps with string keys, whatever. Not a big deal. So like a ton. Well, you got to type two more characters. One more character, actually. Like one more character. Than using than using atoms. Yeah. It's yeah. like who cares? Um. So yeah, we did. We just used maps with with string keys everywhere because it was simpler, and it was not a big deal. Uh. So. So do you always use the arrow syntax in all of your maps? No, not no. I, I mean, if they're if they're atoms, I don't. If they're string keys, yeah. Okay, I'm just curious. Yeah, no. I mean, it just depends. But yeah, but a lot of our stuff was literally just string keyed, passed between services, and and that sort of stuff. So, you know, you just didn't care. So that was the that was that's also part of it. The bigger thing here, though, is just like, and it's funny because this 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 very first point is like one of the most contentious. Amongst people, like this is the one people disagreed. I thought it was with. the easiest one. This and with were the two that people disagreed with the most. My big thing is like people were like, "Well, I've never been bitten by like you know whether or not it's a keyword or a map." And it's like, okay, you haven't run as much elixir as I have. <laughs> like I don't know what to tell you. <laughs> like I have. I get bit by it all the time. I've totally been bitten by that, and I've been bitten by libraries that don't that like arbitrarily support one or the other, and it's like. Yeah, but I have a map right here. Like, don't make me convert it into a keyword list. They behave identically for the purpose. I mean, the semantics of them do, right? And also, here's the other thing. These aren't giant, you know, when you're when you're accepting, here's the thing. When you're using map.get and keyword.get, it's not like you're dealing with maps that have hundreds of thousands of keys in them. You're not dealing with mm-hmm. keyword lists that have hundreds of thousands of keys in them. And so the performance difference is literally noise. It does not matter. There's no performance degradation between using a map with 10 keys and using a keyword list with 10 keys. Come on. Like, there, like any performance issues in that is literal noise. So it doesn't matter. And from a performance standpoint, and semantically, they give you the exact same result. <laughs> like, they behave identically. It's so funny because someone on Hacker News was like, well, maybe they do, maybe they don't. And I'm like, no, they literally do. Like, you can go look at the code. He's like, well, I don't know. You can't know that. And I'm like, no, I can literally know that. I looked at the code. They behave the same. You can like, test it. I was like, they behave. If you're using .git specifically, it's not like .git on a keyword list supports. I mean, so the main difference between keyword lists and maps are that 
you can have duplicate keys in a keyword list. Um, you can't have duplicate mm-hmm. keys in a map. But if you're using .git, duplicate keys don't work anyway. It just gives you the first one. Okay. Right, the whatever it runs into first. Right. And so it's like, the performance difference is totally negligible. And there's really no reason to, to lock yourself into one thing because like, what if I have a map? What if I already have a map right here? And I have a map because, you know, I'm trying to configure a gen server and I decoded a JSON uh, file or like called an S- a REST API to, and got back JSON. And now I have a map. I don't have a keyword list. I don't want to convert this crap into a keyword list just to pass arguments into a gen server. Come on. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Like that's dumb. So work with both. <laughs> like it doesn't, it's, it's not that big a deal to work with both. And, it, and for Git operations, done, easy. Well, and then, and then you also by being able to use other things other than keywords and maps, like you can you can add access to a service if you want, right? So you can ask a service for something by by just doing the keyword access. Watch it yeah. though. I think that this turns into people trying to implement objects by using access. Well, you're just using protocols, <laughs> right? Like you're basically at that point just using protocols and like dynamic dispatch, and that's kind of where you want to live. Like you want things to be more generic. Because it means that your stuff's more reusable. And especially for people who are writing libraries, right? This is especially, especially useful for people who are writing libraries. If you've got a library, be more permissive about what I can give you. Don't arbitrarily break because I happen to have a keyword list or a map here and you you just demand that you have that you want one so that you can mm-hmm. use .git. Like that makes no sense. Or convert it for the user. Like if you really want keyword lists, do it on their behalf. It's a safe right. operation to call keyword.new on a keyword list. Right. Or on a map. <laughs> yeah. You're going to get the same thing back. Basically, yeah. So you said the, the, the other thing that people hit up the most was uh, your, your discussion on width and yes. probably specifically using an else block with a width. Here's the thing. I think people read that... I think people didn't read what I wrote. <laughs> <laughs> I think people read the the headline and the H2 block there and didn't actually read what I wrote underneath it. Because I got a ton of comments about like, I use else all the time and it seems fine. It's like, I didn't say don't use else. That's not what I said. I said, don't, if you're using else to handle every possible error, you don't want with. What do you want said? Case? Cases, nested case statements. Because... If you're handling every else case, mm-hmm. it necessarily means that the errors matter. And actually, I think it's more obvious when you start ta- start talking about the the whole tagging operations with tuples thing. Mm-hmm. Have you seen this in the wild before? Tagging with tuples, yes. Like where, where you okay? So the idea yes. is you have a with a, a set of with uh, the quote unquote happy path, which we're going to come back to as an idea. <laughs> because I've done a lot of thinking about this, Amos, and I'm pretty sure I, that the happy path is not a real thing. I have to, and I use with differently than almost everybody else I see yeah. use it. So, side note: one of the things people got real tilted about was that I used with to match on an error uh, in one of my examples. They got real tilted about that because like with is only for happy path stuff. No, and it's like, I use it for actually, errors. That's not how with is. That's not what with is intended for. <laughs> that's what you use with for. That's not what with yeah, was. I use with for. for like pulling something out of a cache, and then when I get an error, the do tells me how to get it 
Yeah. I mean, it's how to whatever. get it for real. Yeah. Whatever. Okay. Uh, it's just pattern <laughs> matching. It's just destructuring and pattern matching. It's not that complicated, but whatever. Yeah. Uh, like you're, you're ascribing more to it than other people who are upset about that are, are doing, are ascribing more uh, convention to width than it actually holds, but that's neither here nor there for the moment. So the notion is with this tagging idea is that you have a width set of width statements and you tag each of them with like the operation name and you do it by using a tuple. And so the first part of the tuple is like the operation name. And then you do as the second part, the actual call. And so then if you have an error down below, you can figure out, well, what operation failed and let me see the error and now I can do stuff with it. If you're doing that, it necessarily means that the errors matter. It necessarily means that the error condition is a core part of the control flow of that function. Like tacitly, right? Like we could, we have to, I, I think we'd have to agree that the control flow, that the control flow has to include errors if you're doing this tagging thing at all. Right. Otherwise, there's no reason to do it. Yeah, what I always see it used for is like, like, where did this error come from? Because I could have the same error tuple from two different things. Uh, but but then, like you said, now I have, to me, I've separated where I know things about that error from where the error happens. Right. And to me, there's a lot more cognitive overhead. Yeah. In now I have to read the thing pieces. and then jump to the else block and figure out like, okay, but like, where did this come from and why does it matter? Or I could just use nested case statements. This is the same problem with piping to a function like handle result. Yes. Right. Right. Yeah. Because exactly. you now hide that piece of information and it's, it's really valuable information right. and handle it, result. The name doesn't tell you anything. Yeah. I mean, that, that was the other thing is a handful of people were actually like, no, you should totally pipe your results from previous functions into the next function. And I was like, I, we, we don't even have common ground to stand on. Like, we'd like, like, you want different things from your APIs than I do. But yeah, so the tagging operation thing necessarily means that you care about errors. And if you care about errors, then you care about errors. And you should talk about them as a first-class thing. Something that I think is an important context here is that in my work, specifically at BR, there was no such thing as a happy path. I don't even know what that phrase means. Like, I get what people think it means, but it's not real. The errors matter in your application and how you handle them. So you either need to make them generic, aka you have a big exception struct that you can then use for all your operations, so you can compose your operations arbitrarily, or you admit that it matters, that they're, they're a core part of your control flow. And so you want to do things like have a giant function. You know, say giant, be like 20 lines long. It's not that big a deal. And it would say like, check the fuse here. If the fuse is good, then do this. Handle those error. You know, call the downstream service. If the downstream service comes back with an error, go look in the cache for it. And just do all that in one function. Like, don't make me go read 30 things to figure out how all that works. Like, I just want to read the one function. And I want to read the whole flow and see it. Because this is the only function that actually knows how to do all that stuff. That actually knows the composition of all those operations. Mm -hmm. And so, yeah, like if you're in that situation, then you should be more inclined 
to just use nested case statements because it's way easier to read and it's much, much easier to change in the future. Much easier to change. And in fact, case statements generally are much easier to change than with statements. In my experience, in my experience, it is way easier to swap out various bits of a case statement than it is to go into a with, figure out where you're calling certain operations, figure out what they're returning, understand all that stuff. It is much easier to maintain uh, nested case statements long-term, much, much easier. And on the flip side of that, if you don't try to maintain case statements, where you will naturally end up is having to figure out how to unify all your various errors. And in which case you will end up back at reinventing def exception and having a, a you know an exception that you use for everything. Like that's the end result is that you're going to end up reinventing that. With is really 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 good when you can have a unified set of errors that pop out of it and you just fail out wherever. Like if you're going to use it for this so-called happy path thing, you want them all to return the same type of, of, of structure mm-hmm. so that you don't care where you fall out. That's the benefit of the width. You don't care where you fall out. If you care where you fall out, you don't want width. And that's the thing about else. Like, it's not that you shouldn't use else. I use else all the time. And I use it for like logging or updating a counter or updating a metric or, or you know, updating tracing. Like what else is useful? But if you're handling every type of error, you really, it's way less maintainable and it's way harder to understand and change in the future. The, the times that I've seen and, and heard a lot about complaining about using case instead of with is, is when you're matching on all of those cases, when there's a lot of code in there. But to me, that's where I, where I pull a method out. Like I match on the case and then I have, I have a function that, has a name that means something to me because I probably need to do that in multiple places too. And then I pass to that function. The thing about the pipelining to outside of the width, because you know, that's related, I think is not handling is the now, if I have four functions that I'm piping into and there's an error after the first one, now each one of them has to have two function heads, one to pass that error on, which I guess is what width is supposed to be for. Mm-hmm. But I find it's not often used that way very well because then you have the the else and all the matches inside the else. Yeah, no, I agree with that. Um, along the along this happy path thing, I just think it's important to reemphasize this. Like, I don't think it's kind of I kind of don't think it's a real thing for most of my work. Most of the work that I personally do just doesn't amount to like like the 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 like when everything goes well logic is uninteresting. And it's also, if all if you can get away with caring about just what happens when things go well, I really envy you because that means your application is is like it, it doesn't have to deal with error conditions that much. That's what it implies to me. Mm-hmm. And it so happens to be that a lot of the work that I do is about resiliency and about dealing with errors directly. And the work that we did at BR is about dealing with errors directly because you want to build a system that gracefully degrades. And so we ended up 
acknowledging that there's really no way that you can just say, well, I call this service and this service and I compose the results and I move on. It's like, yeah, that's not, that's actually not useful because what you care about is I call this service, but it failed. So I'm going to try to get it from cash. But if I can't get it from cash, I'm going to have to go over here and try to do this thing and degrade this part of the result, or I need to fail this part of the result. But that part of the result is critical to this request. So I'm going to just have to raise in this case. It's like, those are choices you have to make. And there's not really, I mean, there are generic ways to talk about that. And you could do, you know, functional compositions in certain ways with certain data structures that rhyme with, you know, that, that, that all rhyme with monad uh, to, to talk about that stuff. But whenever you lean on those things, you're necessarily assuming that you can treat different fallback scenarios generically. And that's really not often the case in my experience. It's good to get to that position, but when you're getting there, you typically can't. So you kind of have to, you kind of have to figure out what's permissible, what's not. And, and, and you have to deal with that stuff directly. And it just leads me to a point where I'm like, I, I can use with for certain things and I do, and, and I enjoy it, but there's just a lot of stuff where I'm like, I would, you know, there's, there's an example in the blog post. that's like a 15 line function that, that shows calling views and calling a service and handling those errors and calling a cache. I've written that function. People were like, yeah, but like you would break this up. And I'm like, no, I actually would. This is literally what I would push to production. This, this block of code right here, I have written before. It's basically verbatim what I would write and it, and I would leave it in this one function call so I could see it all. Cause anybody can read this and art and understand what's happening here. And if I force them to go read five other functions, it's going to be less maintainable and less useful. I don't know where to go from here. Well, what's what, what's what's next on your list? Uh, well, I'm running out of time, but there's the like I, I call it the bonus of your blog post. It's the very last thing yeah. about using or when checking collections and tests. Mm-hmm. It's perfect. Like it's I don't good. I don't know that I need to say more. That is, uh, and yet some people still disagreed with that one. When I read tests, hilarious, I'm really, trying actually. to make the errors tell me what's going on so I don't have to actually dig through and figure out what's going on. Mm-hmm. And when you use things like enum all yeah. in a test, then you just get, well, it should have been true, but it was false. And now I've got to dig in to figure out what's going on. Exactly. So tell me where the error is. That's exactly. what I want the test to do. So, exactly. Yeah. And that's, that is easily the best way to do that. That's a trick. I don't, it's so funny. Like, I, I was bouncing these ideas off of uh, my friend Matt, who I work with now, and rock climber Matt. Yeah. Hey, tell him I said hi. I will. And I rock climber um, Matt. <laughs> and it was funny because we were talking about this, and we both were talking about how we both use for, and it's like a thing that we arrived at individually. But it's like, yeah, you don't get good error messages if you use enum dot all because it just says nope, it's not true or whatever, and you actually want to know that stuff. And so swapping swapping it around like that uh, and using four if you're checking collections of things is very useful. The funny thing is, is I know this and I use it, but I haven't internalized it yet. So a lot of times when I'm first writing the test, I just do enum all and move on. Mm -hmm. And then as soon as it fails and I'm like, it didn't tell me why, then I go change it to a four. Yeah, yeah. I've got to get that internalized. Yeah, yeah, for sure. So yeah. It was a good there, post. There's Keep lots me. of stuff. I in really there. enjoyed reading it. Hacker News disagree with basically all of it, um, which I assume means that most of my ideas are good. 
So my favorites too, my favorites too were the people who were like, um, uh, well, this person clearly doesn't understand elixir conventions or idioms. It's very clear that they have not spent time with elixir. I'm like, okay, dude, it <laughs> <This> sounds good. <laughs> I mean, I agree with them, but <laughs> anyway, but it's, it's, yeah, I'm, I hope it helps people. It's definitely like, I don't know. At the end of the day, it's like, it's stuff that I, these are all ideas that I utilize um, and encourage others to utilize because I do believe they lead to more maintainable systems long-term. And if that's useful for people, I hope, I mean, I hope it's useful for people. It seems to have struck some kind of chord with people. I just say before you write it off, try it. Your mileage may vary. Yeah. 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 I mean, like I, you know, yeah, you may have totally different opinions than me on this stuff. That's fine too. I it's just been my experience that this this stuff tends to be easy. It leads to code that is easier to maintain a year from now and to understand what it's doing. So, and, and building systems out of less code. Like, you know, code is lines of code are are a lines of code are a liability. So, if mm-hmm. you can have less of them, within some, some, you know, within some reasonable um, amount, you're kind of better off. That's my take. Good job. Thanks. Anyway, we're going late. We had to start late. I feel like, we keep this I feel like we're ending this like kind of mellow compared to how we normally do, but, uh, Oh, it's good. We, yeah. We gotta keep this tight. You gotta get out of here. Yep. I gotta go. Thanks for hanging out today. I missed it. I'm ready to get back into it. Okay. Yeah, we'll be back be next next time. More next, more discussion. Yeah, hope maybe next week, but it's summertime, so who the heck knows? Who knows? Who knows? <laughs> who knows? All right. See All you right. later, Keithley. Later. Have a good day. <laughs>